All right. Welcome to this week's Just Your Average Fans podcast. This is the second episode, and we have a lot to talk about. If you're new, check us out, share with friends, and uh, let's get it going, guys. So, first off, to start off, we would like to talk about the the Ohio State versus Nebraska game. It was a very intriguing game. It went, came down to the wire. Definitely was not expecting the kind of performance Ohio State put up. But I would like to get you guys' opinions on how the offense looked. And uh, the play calling by Ryan Day was very questionable, to say the least. So we would like to – what do you guys have to say about that? Andrew, I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, so first first off, I want to give a shout-out to the defense. I think the defense played exceptionally well. It was the second week in a row that they had to basically go and win us the game. Really, they just had a couple of big plays that hurt them. They had the long touchdown pass and a couple of QB runs by Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez. And that's, that's played us a bit in the past, so we need to work on that a little bit. But that's not something new, and we didn't really let that hurt us too much. But what I really want to talk about in that game was the play calling. Now, we all know that Ryan Day is one of the best play callers in America. But he called what I think was his worst game as an Ohio State play caller. And it really just went back to one thing, which is he wouldn't run the ball. He made no commitment to run the ball, particularly in short yardage situations. First drive of the game, fourth and one, he went play action, and Stroud was forced to throw to a contested Jeremy Ruckert. In the red zone, third and two, he would not run the ball. It forced us to kick field goals. And the one red zone possession we did score a touchdown on, where we eventually, where Stroud eventually found Olave in the end zone, we ran the ball for consecutive plays before that, which we very rarely did in this game. So I think moving forward, Day needs to have more confidence in this running game and realize that he needs to establish it more, particularly in short yardage situations. I think Ryan has, Coach Day has a strong confidence in the running game. It seemed that uh, before this game, the run game was doing pretty well with the committee backs. Uh, I know Teague was hurt the game before, but uh, I think he has confidence in it. This game, to me, uh, and shout out to the defense, it seemed that there's something I miss going on with the offense that isn't uh, hasn't been addressed the last two weeks. And I know there's a lot of criticism on C.J. Stroud for not running enough. But when you're throwing for, what was it, 400, 405 yards, that is not the problem. <laughs> you running is not the problem. There's something going on with play calling. And as we've seen these last couple – games, the most concerning part is we're not getting points when we're in the red zone. I don't know for this particular game because Garrett Wilson was not there, but something is we're not turning these 
long drives and some of the even quick drives into touchdowns. And I think uh, we need to change up a little bit of what we're doing schematically when we get into the red zone and to, to put up some TDs. Go, going off what you said about the offense not being perfect and there being something missing, a problem with our offense the past two weeks has been our offensive line, and they've been committing a lot of penalties. This last game against Nebraska, there was one drive where our, where very our true, offensive yes. line had like three or four penalties on the same on the same drive, and that that really hurt us. Stroud obviously threw for a lot of yards, but that's also what happens when you have around fifty-four attempts, which is what he had near the end of the game. So, I think. I think Ryan Day, I think you're right, Blaze. Ryan Day does have confidence in the running game, but it's just naturally in his DNA as a play caller to want to get the big passing plays and, and have the passing game be center stage. And I think sometimes he just needs to realize when the time is right for the running game. We saw Stroud fumbled the ball on our last possession, and that almost cost us a chance to lose points. And it could have given Nebraska a short field with an opportunity to go win the game. So I think it's just realizing when's the right time to run and lean on that good set of backs in our offensive line. And when is the time to be a bit more aggressive and take our shots down the field? Yeah, uh, going back to the offensive line, offensive line is giving up way too many penalties. I mean, we go, we're going, we have, a, it seems like we're going down the field pretty smoothly. Then we have a holding call, and then we're put back five yards. Then another holding call. Now we're it's like first and twenty, and we're just biting ourselves in the foot and killing all the momentum that we've had. So I think the issue starts with the offensive line. We got to get that line to be a bit more disciplined with their movement, so that we're not uh, shooting ourselves in our own foot when we're trying to move the ball down the field. Yeah, it it only takes one one penalty to kill to kill a drive. And there's just one more thing I want to say about the offensive line. They they definitely have not been up to par these last two games to what we expect, and we expect them to be a very elite offensive line because that's what they're capable of. But they also were not helped by the play calling because what happens when you drop back fifty plus times in a game is. The other team's defensive line is hitting you in the mouth. You're dropping back and you're getting hit and pushed by the rushing defensive line. Whereas when you run the ball, the offensive line is punching the defense in the mouth. So I do think near the end of the game, fatigue probably began to wear in a, wear in a bit for our, our offensive line. Yeah, like you guys mentioned, the, the running game has to be a bit more dominant. We obviously know what Travion Henderson has is capable of. He's shown it at the, the start of the season. He was probably the most important player on offense at the start of the season. So I think we just need to keep feeding him the ball and letting him thrive. Because um, if CJ Stroud's going to throw the ball 54 times, the likelihood of you losing that game is going to increase exponentially, at least from what we've seen with the Oregon game and the other close games he's had. It's a it's a lot to ask of your first year starter as a quarterback to throw the ball fifty four times, and he was missing his favorite target, Gary Wilson, which is something that 
was a big for him. I think we could all tell he definitely prefers Gary Wilson over Chris Olave. But uh, the one person I wanted to shout out, I know we obviously mentioned the defense already, and they were spectacular. They've been the saviors the last two games. But the shout-out has to go to Jackson Smith. He put up a ridiculous performance, an all-time performance in terms of receptions and 240 yards, 15 receptions, and a touchdown. I just wanted to shout him out for stepping up in Garrett Wilson's absence. Definitely. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jungba had a all-time performance, and it was great to see. I mean, he has those bursts where he just goes for 30-plus yards, and it's in the slot, and it's a pretty awesome moment. And one thing I, I want to just quickly mention, it seemed that when we don't get Chris Olave involved much, the game doesn't seem to go well in our favor. Uh, the previous game I'm thinking of is Oregon. Uh, I believe in that game he had near zero, if not zero receptions. This game, uh, I'm pretty sure he had one TD, right, or was it now? He, he had seven. one TD, yeah. One okay, he did have one TD. Okay, he had seven receptions, 61 yards. So we need to get, it seems, Chris Olave because he's the engine that drives him. He's also the one that uh, goes, that does most of the post routes. And we haven't been connecting on that. And I feel like that's been um, a missing part of this uh, offense is connecting on those deep post routes. Yeah, with this receiving core, I think when when we saw um, Jade Buzz' performance this this past weekend, we just we saw how deep our receiving core is. But, but going off what you said with Olave, I think what happens a lot with Olave is you you mentioned he runs a lot of deep post routes. He he clears out a lot, and that provides some of the more underneath receptions for Garrett Wilson and Jade Buzz to get. So. Even if he's not getting all of the all the receptions, he is drawing a lot of attention and creating opportunities for others. But I agree with you, Blaze. Sometimes you have to find creative ways to get him the ball because he is the most experienced receiver in that room, and he's a leader, and guys are going to want to look to him to provide for us. Yeah, he's, he's definitely Mr. Reliable in terms of the receiving core, but... That receiving core is stacked. I mean, when when you force Jamison Williams to have to transfer to Alabama to get game time, that tells you something very, about the receiving true. core. Especially with the way Jamison has been performing for Alabama. But So we talked about the Nebraska game. We have a big game coming up Saturday against the Boilermakers who upset number two Michigan State. And they come Michigan State who? Michigan <laughs> State who? Who? <laughs> they destroyed Michigan State. So they're known as the little they're underdogs. They like that underdog mentality and they they upset Iowa, they upset Michigan State. So it's definitely not a game to look past. I wanted to get you guys' opinions on preview for that game. How much at risk are the Buckeyes of getting upset? I personally think there's a lot of risk because Purdue has a very capable wide receiver room, just like we do. David Bell 
could legitimately be a top five receiver in the nation. He's very explosive. And this passing offense is very explosive in general. Against Michigan State, Purdue did not run the ball. But it was because they didn't want to establish the run. They never tried to because they never needed to. They only had around 50 yards rushing on offense in the day. But I believe they had 500-plus passing yards. So that, so that just shows you... Yeah how dangerous this passing attack can be with David Bell and Anthrop and some of their other receivers. And one other quick thing I wanted to mention about Purdue is against Michigan State, they only played quarterback Aiden O'Connell. But a couple weeks ago when they upset then number two, Iowa, they rotated three quarterbacks in with their game plan, a couple of passing quarterbacks and one of them was a more designed running quarterback. So that could be something for Ohio State to keep an eye on this week is some quarterback rotations. I hear all that, but uh, Purdue's about to change their name to Perdon because they're not about to roll up to the shoe and beat Ohio. That's not, that, that's not going to happen. All right, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> They're passing attack, the three-headed QB room. I get it. But this year is different. Uh, and this is feelings all facts. I mean, I'm just letting the viewers know. There's no facts to this. This is just my intuition. They're going to roll up in there, and they're going to get spanked, and they're going to go back into Indiana. That's how it's going to be. Uh, Purdue. <laughs> I don't think they played a defense like us. I don't think um, Michigan State's a good team, but they're not a high state on the defensive end. They're good on, good defensively, but I think this defense had turned into something uh, special. And I, I, I think that with our dental Burke turning into a phenomenal cornerback, I think he can shut down the, uh, the Bell, uh, David Bell on the wide receiver front for Purdue. And I think that we can stymie this. That would this, be a uh, very interesting matchup. That will be. I think that we can stymie uh, the offensive attack. And it, we have film. And I think, you know, what helps is we have film on them from when they beat Iowa. Now we have film on them when they beat Michigan State. Uh, I'll be a little worried if perhaps we were in a Michigan State position. Uh, but I think uh, Ryan A is going to get these guys prepared. And we're just going to we're gonna win this one. And we're going to look forward to the next one. I do, I do agree with you, Blaze. There is absolutely no reason to sleepwalk through this game. Purdue has put the nation on alert, as they normally do multiple times, and now they're ranked. So this should not be a game we looked past. I do think we were a little fortunate that right before this, Purdue got to play spoilers to Michigan State instead of us. So this should definitely be a game that we get up for and should not look past. They're the, the upset kings, the Purdue Boilermakers. I think if Ohio State lets them hang around, they could be they could be in for a tough game against Purdue. But like Blaze mentioned that, that's going to be a key match of how does Denzel Burke perform against Bell? Because we've seen Bell towards Iowa. We've seen him towards Michigan State. And Iowa was a legit defense when he played them. So if young Denzel Burke can stop Bell, that's going to say a lot about his potential. 
Okay, but we've talked about Ohio State, but there's another team in Ohio who's making a case for the college football playoffs, the Cincinnati Bearcats. What What are y'all's opinions on Cincinnati? Could they break the mold and make the playoffs as a group of five team, or is it still going to be all power five? I'm going to let the power five elitists go first. And Andrew, uh, <laughs> so, we all know how he likes his power five teams and doesn't give respect to the group five. Uh, so I'm going to let the elitists go first, and then I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk for the people. We the people. Democracy. Okay, Blaze. Okay, Blaze. Go ahead. So, so, so to answer Julio's question, are they going to get in? No, no one's going to like this answer, but it depends. And that's how it's always going to be. But... Since Cincinnati fans should have a lot of hope. Last week, if you remember, I said Ohio out of a select group of teams, which was Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Oklahoma, and Wake Forest. That's five teams. Ohio State needed two of them to lose to be able to control their own destiny. Well, guess what? Wake Forest lost this week. So that number went down to one. Ohio State needs one team now to lose, to be able to control their own destiny. But Cincinnati is right below us. And Cincinnati did need more help because they also needed Michigan State to lose, which we would be able to control, but Cincinnati didn't. But Michigan State lost this week. So now Cincinnati also only needs two more teams to lose to be able to, to control their own destiny. So I do think Cincinnati has a legitimate chance that Georgia versus Alabama game is going to be very, very pivotal in all of this. The state of Ohio and most of the nation is going to be Georgia fans in that game. But Cincinnati does have a legitimate shot. I think you need to remain calm if you're a Cincinnati fan. You don't control your own destiny, but you have a very real shot, and you just need to control what's in front of you and keep winning your games if you're a Bearcat fan. Now I, the people's champ, will take take this into a different okay. angle. I The floor is yours. <laughs> I, I speak for the people, and we, the people, have developed this consensus that Cincinnati should be in the top four. I'm looking at the top four right now, and I see three out of the four teams with one loss. You say Cincinnati needs two teams to lose, and I assume one of them is one of the top four in Oklahoma. Right, Andrew? Yes, correct. Okay. We, 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 we right. would also be in that group for Cincinnati to, to be to able lose. to lose. Yeah. Yes, we would be in that group. Personally, I personally do not – I think it's incomprehensible. I think it's one team, one of the three teams in the top four that has one loss. It it wouldn't make much sense for a number eight Oklahoma to jump over, at, we're assuming at this point, over an undefeated UC into the college football playoff. Now, as we've seen of these rankings, these men with suits, these elitists, these allies of Andrew, oh, okay. as we've seen, they don't really make much sense, and they favor the big brands. So we could see a team 
that loses and then Oklahoma gets bumped up. That is uh, a, a a reasonable picture for the future. But I just from eight to five, to the top four, that's a big leap, and um, I think Cincinnati should be in the top four. They've done everything that we've asked of them in coming into the season to be playing. We said win and beat Notre Dame. They've won and they beat Notre Dame, and we'll see if they continue to win. But UC should probably be in the top four. And um, this winning matters, as it should. Head-to-head matters. That's why Oregon's in front of us. All these things that we tell players, control your own destiny, win the game, should be talked about as the most important things when making these rankings. And as we'll talk about later uh, in this show. So, believe it or not, Blaze, I I do agree with you. I do think as of this moment, you could and should swap Cincinnati and Ohio State and put Cincinnati in that top four. Now, eventually, I would also say with the strength of Ohio State's schedule down the stretch, we would easily be able to jump Cincinnati in what very likely could be a strain of four straight straight ranked wins to end the season between a regular season schedule and a possible conference championship game. Now, where I don't agree with you is saying Cincinnati controls their destiny over Oklahoma for two reasons. One, Oklahoma has a similar situation to Ohio State. Their schedule is very backloaded. They, they play at Baylor this week. Then they're going to host a very capable Iowa State team before their bedlam game in Stillwater against Oklahoma State, and then also, again, a potential conference championship game. But it's more so this. If you are a Power 5 team and you are undefeated, and there are not four undefeated Power, uh, four other undefeated Power 5 conference teams, you control your own destiny. A 13-0 and Oklahoma is not going to be left out of this playoff, no matter what happens at the top. And that's why Oklahoma fans should also not panic. They went out, they're in, there's no question about it. Well, Oklahoma probably should be, at this point, be in the top four. Um, based they're on the severely under-ranked. Yes, severely under I mean, how, look, I don't want to get into this now, but how do you have... Michigan State, who rolled up to the to the big house, beat Michigan, and now they're ranked under Michigan. Does okay. head to head even matter anymore? Uh, okay, make it make one, sense. Please. Okay, one one thing but, that that game was actually in East Lansing. It was at Michigan State. But this is what I want to say about Oklahoma. Yes, Oklahoma probably should be ranked closer to the top four right now. I think the committee showed guts by sending a message to Oklahoma saying, hey, you have not looked impressive at all this year. What guts? You were down. guts? You were down 10. Guts? You were down 10 to 0 to Kansas at halftime. But this is what I think. Hey. This is what I think personally. If, If Oklahoma wins this game against Baylor, this Saturday. I don't care if it's another ugly game like they've played all year. If Oklahoma wins this game, I think they should jump up 
number two because they'll finally have a more signature win on their resume. And you need and as as you keep getting closer and closer to the end of the regular season, you have to respect an undefeated schedule more and more and more. So if Oklahoma wins this game, I personally think they should jump up to number two the rankings next week. Here's here's my problem so what do you say? with how Oklahoma is ranked currently as we're speaking. Oklahoma is undefeated. They're nine and zero. Like Blaze mentioned, winning has to matter. It does, yes. It has to matter. They're nine and zero. Have they had some ugly wins? They have, but so has Oregon, so has Ohio State, and so has Alabama. Alabama almost lost to LSU, a terrible LSU team with so many injuries. That team was extremely depleted by six points. By six points, and it came down to the wire. LSU, LSU almost won. LSU had a, an opportunity to lead a game-winning drive with a two-minute drill at the end of the game. LSU was a decent quarterback away from winning that game. Just one throw that that quarterback would have made, and they would have won that game. And so when you look at Alabama, you don't look at, you don't look at them and see the number two best team in the country. They're ranking Alabama by what Alabama has done before and what they're projecting Alabama should be on paper. But they definitely should not be number two. And then you see Oregon's ahead of Ohio State because of their head-to-head. But then you see Michigan State behind Michigan, even though Michigan State has the head-to-head advantage. It doesn't make any sense. Oklahoma should, at the very least, be number three in these rankings. It is disrespectful to the Sooners for them to be this low. I understand their outrage. The only thing I'll cut the committee's slack is that there's really only – after Georgia, it's hard to rank everyone else, at least in the top it five or six or so. That is at very Georgia's true. The only one that, Georgia's the only one that has separated itself from the pack, as I would say. And two, three, four, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hairy. But you have to go by ob- objectivity. You just have – like – do we think UC passes the eye test? Do we think so? At before this three game stretch, no. they did, but they've Heck looked no. very I mean, questionable these past couple of weeks. No, we don't. But we laid out the standards with all the rhetoric. Oh, I didn't even say the I should say the media. The media <laughs> laid out the standards for what UC had to do. And they've done it. You can't ask the, the players to do anything more than that. Win football games. They've done it. Oklahoma's done it. I think those two actually should probably be ahead of us. Uh, Oregon and Ohio State should be a bit down. And we'll see how the rest of the season goes out for Ohio State. I'm bullish on Ohio State. I'm bearish on Oregon. I think Oregon's got a little bit of a stinker in them. They're going to lose one. But, and I think, quite honestly, I th- and I've said it. It almost I happened this past week. Yeah. And I've said it. I think that uh, Oklahoma's going to lose to Oklahoma State. So we'll see. But for now, these rankings are hot garbage because what they're trying to do is trying to set up these four teams up here especially with Alabama. They're trying to make Alabama's resume look better than what it is. 
But then we saw them for the clowns they are. Mississippi State lost. Now they're not in the rankings. And now that Alabama resume does not look as good as we thought it would be. So, guts? I don't know if they have guts. They're hiding behind their cocktails. Before before we talk, we move to the the rest of the rankings. I have one more question for you guys um, regarding Ohio State and Oklahoma. I've given my viewpoint. As of this very moment, do you think Ohio State controls their own destiny to the playoffs? No. no. Okay, that's a change from you from from last week, but it's a good change. They do not by any stretch of the imagination. We. We depend on Oregon a lot. No, they, we need Oregon to lose, and that's probably the most realistic one for them to lose. Unless, because uh, we know what the committee loves Alabama. They're doing everything in their power to justify having them at number two, even though you looked super unimpressive against, like I've mentioned, a terrible LSU team. Yes. <laughs> terrible. Like, like I mentioned earlier, the entire nation outside of people from the state of Alabama are going to be Georgia fans during the SEC championship when most likely Georgia plays Alabama because that will ensure that would ensure only one SEC team would make the playoffs. Even Nick Saban knows he should not be number two. Stop it. Saint Nick knows, bro. He knows. But I would say this is that from the rankings, it looks like they're they're putting they're giving a silver platter to OSU right now. They're saying, hey OSU, two of your opponents coming up, Michigan and Michigan State are six and seven. I, maybe at that point they'd be lower. Um, but I bet they'll be around the same uh, rankings as they are. So they're and they put Purdue at nineteen. Yeah, they're saying an extra OSU win. win. As, as you see, they honestly, I don't think they care about any making anyone mad. They don't care about making Cincinnati mad. They will take Cincinnati mad if OSU wins out. As we've oh, seen yeah, they, throughout, they, they don't will do whatever. Cincinnati at all. No, they will do whatever it takes to get the big teams in. They're going to basically. Make the top four what it is and justify everything else to boost that resume. And it's sad to see, but uh, this is college football. And that is why we need to expand the playoffs, Andrew. We're, we're not going to get, get your in. suits out of here. We're not going to get into playoff expansion right now. But I, I do think that the rest of these rankings do matter, not just what we're seeing in the, in the top eight. Although the biggest problem a lot of people had this past week was Michigan State falling behind Michigan. Because obviously, just 10 days ago now, I think it would be, Spartans had the huge comeback win against Michigan. And that can't be ignored. And, it, and what it's... Why it's really making people upset is there, there are two reasons. One, the results have to matter. Results have to matter. And the other reason is the lack of consistency. Because you see Michigan State's below Michigan right now. 
but Ohio State is below Oregon. That is not consistent. And, and, and also, just to clarify Thank here. You. They're setting the precedent. Even, so when they do it to Oregon, it's like, oh, well, we did it to Michigan State. Okay. They're setting the precedent. <laughs> They're priming us. Okay. As, just, just to clarify, as an Ohio State fan, I think Oregon should 100% get in over us if we're both one-loss conference champions at the end of the year and everything around us went that it would come down to those two teams. The head-to-head results have to matter, and it's, it's just not consistent when you look up and down the rankings because you see Oregon ahead of Ohio State, but then you see Michigan ahead of Michigan State. And if you go even further down the rankings, it, it gets iffier. You might notice Auburn is at number 17. This is a sudden straight week. I'm asking the committee, where is Penn State? Penn State beat Auburn. Where is Penn State? Penn State and Auburn have identical records, six and three. They both have two ranked wins, which the committee has made very clear. They value ranked wins. Penn State has in a head-to-head win. Not even. I mean, screw the other. We have a head-to-head. And and that's that's why people are upset right now. Penn State should one hundred percent be ranked over Auburn if you want to rank Auburn. And we know the committee wants to rank Auburn, so then the SEC as a whole and Alabama will look more impressive. There. Instead of Alabama having to prove themselves to make the playoffs, they have to basically do everything in their power to not get in. And it's ridiculous. And uh, going back to the Michigan point, man, Michigan has no business being in the top six. They haven't beat anybody. Their only, <laughs> their only quality opponent, they lost against Michigan State. Get them out of there, man. <laughs> they... They do have one ranked win against Wisconsin, but I personally do not think Wisconsin is a great team because they've lost to most of the good teams they've faced. But yes, Michigan has no business being at number six. But I'm going to say something a bit controversial, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I think you could have made a realistic argument that Michigan State only dropped down to number four this past week, only dropped from three to four. And this is, this is my reasoning. They still have a similar resume to teams around them. They have only one loss except for Oklahoma, who again were punishing for now until they play Baylor and Cincinnati. And they have a more impressive win than Ohio State and Michigan does. So I don't think it would be weird to keep Michigan State at four, but I also don't think they should have done that. They should have dropped them down to six and kept them above Michigan, but they didn't. And that's, that's why people are upset right now. Rank Cincinnati, you cowards. They are the number five. They're ranked. They're ranked in the top five. They're be in the top four, man. You cannot tell me. It's it's more impressive to lose games than to be undefeated, man. We need to stop. I, 
I, I told you I told you right now that Cincinnati should be number four right now. Yep, at, they... at the at the end of the year, things could be very different. But right now, I would have no problem putting Cincinnati at number four. I mean, this yep. year has been a crazy year of football in general. Uh, a lot of upsets, a lot of turmoil. It's been fun to watch. Chaos. I think chaos the is the one word to describe this season. I think For every sure. team besides Georgia has looked very beatable. You don't know, you know when you're gonna get an upset. That's why you gotta stay tuned into those games on Saturday, man. You might think it's a bad game. You come out of nowhere and Bama's about to lose to LSU, man. All right, what else do you guys want to talk about? What's on y'all's mind? I I have one more thing I want to say about Michigan and Michigan State and related to that is and this is this is something I I don't particularly agree with with the committee but in years past and this year they they tend to really punish a team for something they perceive to be a bad loss so so let me explain obviously Ohio State fans know about bad losses in the past we had a bad loss to Purdue by 29 points a couple years ago the year before that we had a bad 31 point loss to Iowa this year a couple of bad losses in the in the Big 10 one was by Penn State it was the week before we played them they played that ugly ugly nine overtime game against Illinois people are not going to expect are not going to respect a nine overtime game at home on homecoming against a sub 500 Illinois team. So I think that's the committee punishing Penn State for having that bad loss. And then when you move back to Michigan and Michigan State, Michigan had a four point loss to Michigan State, but Michigan State lost to a then unranked Purdue team by 11 it was perceived to be a better to be a worse loss than michigan has so i think that's what the committee is saying and is is explaining and justifying how they put michigan ahead of michigan state but i i don't agree with the logic that a bad loss should be the end all be all of a resume and totally drop you down but it's what the committee has historically done. But I don't agree with it. Man, they're just they're just looking for excuses to justify their their brand football they're looking to do in the playoffs, man. It's it's getting out of hand. There's no consistency like we all mentioned throughout this episode. That's all we ask. Consistency. Yeah, and and now with the Michigan State loss, I don't even know who's leading the Heisman now. Like, the Heisman race is murky as well. It's chaotic as well. Wide not open. Sure, not sure if anyone has really set themselves apart from the pack, unless you're talking about Jordan Davis from Georgia who plays on the defense. <laughs> but we have some who value offense more than defense. But that's okay. That's okay. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba. <laughs> <laughs> but the Heisman race now looks uh, 
looks chaotic as well. It's anybody's year. Uh, we're going to step up and get it. Go get it. Oh, yeah, a lot. A lot of the favorites had sub subpar games. They didn't have terrible games, but no one's stat line jumped out at you. When you looked at Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, obviously his team lost, so people are going to take that into account. Yes, Stroud had 400 yards, but he also had two ugly interceptions. Bryce Young only had a one TD performance, in, and their offense during, against LSU did not look, against did not look efficient in that game. So, <laughs> yeah, is someone's going to be able to just with one or two big performances, be able to take, be able to put themselves a leg up in the Heisman race. But yes, there should there should be a lot of competitors right now that have a lot of statements left to make. And well, one more thing: if if you're a Georgia fan and you're looking at the team you have right now, and you still lose to Bama, it's time to get Kirby out of there. I'm sorry, <laughs> bro. Y'all got this team, this offense that's efficient, and this defense that's elite, and y'all still can't beat Bama on a down year? Y'all let them in that. I mean, you guys, it's it's ridiculous. If you guys going to beat a man, you got to beat the man. And if you guys don't do it this year, I don't think you're ever going to do it anytime soon. This is the year to do it. This is the year for Kirby to set himself up as an elite coach, set him uh, himself away from the pack of the Nick Saban and princesses, and if he doesn't do it this year, I'm not sure he can get it done any other year. Man, this this definitely looks like their year to step up and finally stop, get that signature win and stop choking, man. That's it. We know Atlanta football's known for choking. Oh. <laughs> So, so, something you mentioned, Blaze, about the conference championship um, made, made me think of something. I have, I have two questions for both of you. I want, I want both of you to answer this. If Georgia wins out but then loses the SEC championship to Alabama or whoever it may be, do you think they will make the playoffs? A hundred percent. Probably, but they – but they shouldn't because they won't have won the head-to-head and they won't have a championship. And as, as far as I'm concerned, the five criteria is conference championship, strength of schedule, head-to-head competition, comparative outcomes of common opponents, and other relevant factors such as availability of key players and coaches. They have no conference championship and they lost the head-to-head. Man, get them out of here. Okay, so Blaze already answered my second question, so I'll go back to you, Julio. Question two is, should Georgia? Obviously, this is barring other teams not completely collapsing and everyone else having two losses. If Georgia loses against Alabama, do you think they should make the playoffs? I don't think they should. Like Blaze mentioned, they need that championship to signify the the magnificent historic defensive season they've had, but without a championship, it would be – very, very hard to just look at them, especially if you had the Oklahomas, the Ohio State with a championship, the Oregon with a championship, Alabama with a championship. It would be very hard to put Georgia over any of them. However, and you see with a championship, 
and you see with a championship. However, they would probably find a way to squeeze them in there. And 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 I I agree. Like Georgia, if they make it to twelve and zero, undefeated going into the SEC championship, I think we all know and expect them to be a lock and make it to the playoff anyway. Even if they were to lose to Alabama, but that that premise just bothers me that you can lose the most important game of the season before the playoffs and it it not matter because there there are other capable teams and and um there there are other good teams behind them with with the resume that should be over Georgia, like hypothetically, a one-loss champion Bama team, a one-loss champion Oregon team, a one-loss champion Ohio State team or Big Ten champ, a zero-loss Cincinnati team, a zero or one-loss Big 12 champ. Even if you want to go that far down, Wake Forest still Wake Forest is still sitting at eight and one. If they were from the table, they're a one-loss conference champion. I think that. UTSA I think, is not I think that the conference <laughs> I think that the conference championships need to matter and this premise that you can lose your conference championship and still make the playoffs go away and that that works into what we were saying we need to set a more specific criteria for these rankings I mean UTSA beat Illinois Illinois beat Penn State. Illinois is still... not a good team. Illinois is not a good team, Blaze. But I've... they beat Penn State, and they're still ranked under them. Where is the objectivity? You say, look, this is the criteria they have set for themselves. Comparative outcomes of common opponents. There it is, point blank and center. I don't make the rules they did. <laughs> with, are, you're, you're, saying, you're saying with their win against Illinois? Yeah, they beat Illinois. Illinois beat Penn State. Am, am, I, am I wrong? You are not wrong. Those, those are facts. Those so, are facts. Now we're in facts. No feelings. <laughs> so so, they're, so the, the obvious reason that Blaze does not want to address as to why UTSA is not going to sniff the playoffs is because of their strength of schedule. And I want to be clear about something else. The only reason... Strength of schedule is low-key not, not that... like it, it shouldn't be taken that seriously. Because preseason... Go ahead. The, the only reason Cincinnati is sniffing the playoffs right now is because they have a big... Power five, as it were, if you want to count Notre Dame's power five win against Notre Dame in South Bend, which was very impressive and they should get credit for. And that's why they're getting legitimate consideration in these playoff rankings as a a group of five team. Well, I'm not saying UTSA should be in the playoffs. That's not my idea. They should be. Oh, okay. I thought. Okay, I thought you were saying. Now, nah, man, so I'm for the people, but I'm not for the okay. people. You know what I'm saying? Okay, okay. So you're not. So you're not quite as. Well, it's high school teams in the. <laughs> you're you're not quite as dumb as RJ Young is, who's wanting to put UTSA in number four. Oh, oh he called oh. you out. We're RJ. gonna we're gonna cut that out. 
I'm, I, 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 I don't know. I said I cut you you off earlier, Blaze. Talk about what you you wanted to say. Um. Oh, I was just gonna say we can talk a little bit about uh, Ohio State basketball. The men just had their uh, first game uh, last night, and they pulled out a win against Akron. I know, uh, Andrew, you witnessed that game, so you talk a little bit more about that, what you saw, and how they're looking moving forward. Yeah, so we were able to get the win. It was 67-66, to 66, so obviously very close. I was not that educated on Akron, but with articles that I was reading and what the media was saying was Akron was a bit of an underrated opponent for a team that might seem like a weak, easy win, but Ohio State still struggled probably more than they should have, and they struggled a lot in this game. The, the loss of C.J. Walker and Dwayne Washington in the backcourt from last year really hurt them, and you saw it with the inexperience of the guards. There were a lot of turnovers, a lot of <clears throat> indecisiveness, and it led to really having to lean on the front court. Obviously, E.J. Liddell was the leader of this team. He had a double-double with 25 points before he followed out in the last 30 seconds of the game. And Zed Key also had 14 points, I believe, which included the game-winning the game-winning layup with about 0.3 seconds left in the game. And I think I think he's a uh, an X factor moving forward for the team. If he can provide some good energy for us and take a big sophomore leap, that would be great. But I think I think the shout out has to go to freshman Milwaukee. Branham from St. Vincent, St. Mary's High School, which, if you're not aware, is the high school where LeBron James <laughs> So that's that's a lot of hype coming in for him for that, for that reason. But he finished with seven points, and he also had the presence of mind to have the game-winning assist to key. He had some big moments down the stretch. And when you look at our other two point guards, they had, I believe, a combined six points. And but all of those points were from the free throw line, so I think Milwaukee could be a big freshman guard for us this year. Yeah, uh, I didn't really uh, watch the game uh, at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at the box score when I'm looking at my analysis and uh, everything. Uh, I have no disputes on what you just said. It looks like uh, we got not a lot of help from. The the uh, backcourt uh, guards need to pass, uh, well. They need to play better. Uh, that's for sure. And I think I don't really know the ceiling of this team yet. It's hard to say. We're already. It seems that we lost a lot of uh, offensive uh, prowess uh, from last year's team. Uh, so this year will be interesting to see how it goes. Uh, it's a young team, and uh, we'll see. We'll we'll try to keep. You updated on other things, uh, Ohio State, in addition to football. We're trying to spread our wings a bit. Yeah, I think I also did not watch this game, I'm going to be honest with y'all. It's not tuned in at all. But from what it looks like, EJ is going to have to perform at an elite level for Ohio State to be able to compete. And, you know, they got that big game coming up. 
the end of the month they got those those boys from Duke coming in, so they need to get their act together. <laughs> and it's Coach K's tour, so you know those Blue Devils are chopping on this. Chopping. Oh yeah, they trying to get Coach um, K Goodwill tour. One more thing I want to say so shout about out to Coach K, bro. Shout out to the GOAT. <laughs> One thing I want to say about the basketball team, obviously it's the first game of the season, so we should not panic. But I think something that should not be understated about this game is Seth Towns, graduate forward, was out with an injury. Justice Suing played, but looked very, very, very out of sorts. But he's also dealing with a leg injury. But most importantly, Kyle Young, who's really the heart and soul of this team, was out with an injury. So when Young comes back, the team will look much different and much more energized. So we're eagerly awaiting your return, Kyle. Are they, they're going to need all of them for that game against Duke if they want to guard Paolo. That man looks as good as advertised. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Throw them all in there, coach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's it for this week's podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Next week, we'll have more updates on what's going on at OSU football. And we'll have more updates on what's going on on OSU basketball. Thanks for tuning in and peace.